Thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. Hope you're doing well. We're going to jump in in a few moments to Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles or devices, etc., they'll be that'll to get you can get ready for that. That's where we'll be in a few moments. Um, it'll also be on the screen behind me as well, or if you're watching on the live stream, it'll be on the screen below me. So we're talking about building resilient faith the last few weeks. This is week three of a four-week series. How do you build faith? that is resilient? How do you build faith that doesn't collapse when difficult times come your way? How do you put the roots down a little bit deeper? How do you build and establish a faith that will sustain you when difficult times come your way? And we're calling this resilient faith because we all went through together collectively a a weird year, a difficult year in in a lot of ways. And how do we build a faith that will help us um, that is not dependent on things going perfectly, right? right? There's, there's the kind of faith where it's like, when things are going smoothly, I'm fine. But any difficulties that come my way, my faith doesn't know how to deal with that. And so we're trying to build faith that can handle the range of experiences that life throws our way. And we've been talking about different habits, practices, disciplines, these, these things that we can do to help us grow a resilient faith, help us build that kind of faith. But it's so important when we talk about things you should do that we always remember what has been done and also who we are. Because it's easy for us when we say, hey, here's things that you should do as a Christian. Here are things that will help you in your relationship with Christ. We can sometimes think about, um, we can get the, the wires crossed in our head and think that it's about gaining God's favor. Like, God will like me more if I do these things. Or God will um, approve of me in some way that maybe he doesn't already if I do these things. If I really check the box, then that's going to change the way God thinks about me um, or the way, you know, way I think about myself in terms of my relationship with God. And it's so important that we understand that God, God's grace does not work that way. And even spiritual growth doesn't work that way. That through his work on the cross, he's given us everything we need already for life and godliness. And he, is, he loves us fully. We are completely loved. That when we come to him, we begin our relationship with him. We are his children. We are dearly loved children. And there's nothing that we could do to change that status. And there's also, we, we, we can't make ourselves grow. We can't, our spiritual practices that we do, these habits we do, are not what makes us grow. It is God working through us that makes us grow. But these spiritual habits are like the channels. It's like the, the, the power cord that we plug into God. And, and through that, we receive the power that we need to live our lives. But we have this gospel foundation underneath all of these habits. And it's so important for us to remember that. And so we've been talking about um, that each week as well. That this is all about God doing his work through us. But we have these paths that we can walk through that are well-worn paths Um, things like spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer, and spending time with our spiritual community that help us grow in our relationship with Him. John Orberg, in in trying to build that distinction out, John Orberg is a pastor and and an author, and in one of his books on on spiritual growth, he talks about the, the way we should think about the efforts that we put into our relationship with Christ is like you're trying to cross an ocean. If spiritual growth is like trying to cross an ocean, there's different modes of transportation that you could take on crossing the ocean. One of them is a rowboat. If your spiritual growth is just all about your effort, you're, you're like trying to cross the ocean in a rowboat. Now, people have done that. that that's the kind of thing that they make a documentary about or write a book about 
There have, have, people have done this, but this is incredibly difficult effort. And you actually can't do this if spiritual growth is like crossing an ocean. You can't get across it with your own effort. There's, that's like, look, this is, I'm going to grow. I'm going to make myself grow. It's all my own effort. That's one approach. This kind of the, the sort of religious, in a negative sense of the word, way of, of growing or changing our lives. Like trying to cross the ocean in a rowboat. You're going to be exhausted. It's not going to work out. The other approach is, is like just a raft. I'm just going just gonna to like let go and let God carry me across the ocean and I'm just going to lay here. Also, not going to work out very well, right? And that, this is the approach to spiritual growth where you just go like, I'm just going to follow my feelings. Like whatever I feel like doing on any given day, that's what I'm going to do when it comes to my relationship with God. If I feel like spending time in prayer, then I'm going to do it. But I'm going to wait for the feelings to be my sort of guide on spiritual growth. And that's like trying to cross the ocean in a raft. And guess what? Not going to go well, right? It says the better approach, better metaphor, keeping these two ideas together of God's grace and our effort, not trying to earn his favor, but our effort in trying to grow in grace is more like a sailboat where we can direct the sails to catch the wind that will carry us across the ocean. That God is providing the movement. We are simply directing our sails. We're trying to get in that path where he is going to do his life-changing work in us. So with that in mind, we're going to be talking about prayer this morning, and we're going to do that by reading a parable from Luke chapter 18. Um, and I'm going to get there. I told you to get there, but I'm not there yet. So Luke 18, got there. All right. By the way, this just popped in my head right now, so I have to say it because that's how I am sometimes. Anyone ever do a sword drill? If you're like in Sunday school growing up, they're like, find this verse quick. Yeah, I did that. That's why I'm good at finding verses in the Bible is when I was a kid. So sword drill, for those of you that did not raise your hand, was like when you're a kid in Sunday school and you got your Bible closed and then the Sunday school teacher says, hey, find this verse. And then whoever finds it first and stands up and reads it, they win. And so it's, it's all about teaching kids how to find different passages of Scripture in the Bible. And I loved that game. And I won sometimes, so I was pretty good at it. So anyway, Luke 18, I'm there. Uh, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable, Jesus told them a parable, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? This parable we're given here at the, at the very beginning, a very, very helpful note, right, from, the, from Luke, who compiled the, this, this account of Jesus' life and put this gospel account story together, um, the history of Jesus. He says, and he told them a parable, and the point of the parable, which is helpful, because sometimes you read these parables, and you, you, you're like, I think I understand where the parable's going but, I, but I'm not 100% certain. We're told right at the very beginning that the parable's point, the point of the parable is that you ought always to pray and not lose heart. That there's two choices, to pray, 
regularly, consistently, always, Scripture says, or to lose heart, right? And the, the, the choice before us is to continually pray or to lose heart. The parable is about this. The parable is about prayer. And then Jesus gives this illustration, this story, this, this example of a judge who is corrupt, right? This judge does not fear God. He does not respect man, does not care about carrying out justice. Like a judge's, you had one job to make sure justice happens. This judge is not that concerned about that, doesn't care about what people think, doesn't care about what God thinks. And even though he is not good at his job, he is a bad judge, um, he carries out justice in this particular case for this woman, right? A woman in this culture who is being victimized in some way. We're not told any of the details. We can kind of fill those in with our imagination if Otherwise, Jesus probably would have told us all the details of this story. But he says there's a woman who has an adversary who she's saying, give me justice against my adversary. Someone's trying to take advantage of this woman who is a widow. She is vulnerable in this, in this ancient culture. And someone's taking advantage of her in some way. There's some kind of dishonesty, something happening where there's an injustice that needs to be righted. And what do you do when you're trying to correct an injustice? You go to the legal system and you say your job is to make sure justice happens Please carry out justice. This judge was not playing his role that he should have been playing in this culture, in society in general. And I love his self-awareness, by the way. This judge, Jesus says, he, he neither feared God nor respected man. And then the justice, or the judge, she keeps coming to him over and over again. Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. And then his self-awareness here in verse 4 it says, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Like, at least you could say that about him. You've got to know. He's like, it's true. I don't, I don't do either of those things, fear God or respect man. Yet she keeps coming. She will not leave me alone. And so in order to get rid of this problem of this woman who will not leave me alone, verse 5 says that in order so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, I'm going to give her what she's asking for. And that Jesus introduces this contrast here, because the question would be, he says, will not God give justice to his elect? So he's contrasting God with this unrighteous judge. And on the surface level, reading it for the first time, without having the other understanding of who God is in the Bible, you might be tempted to go, well, is God like the unrighteous judge? Like, what is, is that what Jesus is saying, that just bother God until he eventually gives you what you want? We, we know, of course, from the testimony, the witness of Scripture, that God is nothing like that. He is the loving Father. That this, there's this unrighteous judge, yes, and, and God is nothing like that. And Jesus is relying on the hearer's knowledge, of course, of understanding the character of God through the way that is revealed in, in the rest of Scripture. And one of the things that I think that we should understand when we think about prayer, I, I love this idea is that prayer is continuing a conversation that God started in his word. Jesus is saying here that, that this idea of, you, you know God's not like that unrighteous judge. Like you know things about God because God has told you them in his word. And when we pray, we are, we are relying on our knowledge of who God is. We are reflecting back our awareness of, of who God is. We come to him on his terms based on who God is. And we continue that conversation that God started in his word. He reveals information about himself, reveals who he is, reveals what he wants. And so when we pray, we're, we're keeping that conversation going. But God's the one who started that conversation 
in his word about who he is. The, this parable also teaches us some important things about, about prayer. That prayer is important work. Prayer is important work. That this, this woman is trying to carry out justice and when God is giving this kind of application, or when Jesus, God the Son, is giving this application here about what this parable teaches us, he's saying, you should know that God is not like that unrighteous judge, but what, doesn't God want to give justice to his people? God is going to give justice to his people who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? Prayer is important work. Jesus is, one of the things certainly he's telling us is that prayer is one of these ways of making things happen in the world, fixing some of the brokenness that we see around us. Prayer brings justice. We can pray for God to do, um, to fix things that are messed up in this world that we need his help with. Because when we think about prayer, we all have things that bother us deeply about the world that we are in, that that. They bother us, and we want to see them change, but we feel powerless to change them. We talked about this a few months back when we were going through the Lord's Prayer, that we have, this, we have so many things that we care about deeply that are just so complicated, so difficult to change. Like, how can we change poverty in the world? You know, there's things that we can, we can give to, some of the really, really extreme poverty that we see in some of these developing countries. It's like, how can how can I make a difference there? Like maybe I can make a difference in one person's life. I can sponsor a child with Compassion International or World Vision or something like that, and I can, make, I can help that one child, right? But as far as changing this thing on this broad scale, there's so many big, big problems in the world that we feel powerless to fix. But what we can do is we can pray for them. We, we can bring justice through our prayers, that that actually does make a difference, that that is one of those things that, that we can do that's available to anybody and everybody. We can pray. We can bring our requests before God. We can ask for justice to be done. We can ask for God to work on our behalf and on his behalf in, in this world, and we can bring things to God that, that need to change, right, that, that God sees and we ask him to, to work in a powerful way. There's a great book on spiritual growth by a writer named Donald Whitney, Whitney, and he talks about how prayer is less like ordering refreshments and more like radioing in for reinforcements. I want you to think about those two images there for, for a moment. Like the comforts of, you know, we, my wife and I watched Downton Abbey. That was that PBS show that was kind of popular there, and I think it's on Netflix still, but it was this show all about the the way the, the wealthy people lived in, in uh, England around the turn of the century in kind of early 1900s. And it, the people lived in this big manor house, and they had the upstairs people and the downstairs people. The downstairs servants would care for the, the people, the lord and lady of the house and all their guests. And there, there's this elaborate system in the home there, kind of peak technology of the ancient time, where they could like push a little button or ring a bell in their room, and then downstairs in the servants' quarter, the little bell would ring, and they'd say, oh, someone needs help getting their clothes picked out for the day, or they'd like to get tea, you know. Uh, tea's a big deal in shows like that. They're ordering refreshments of some kind. And, and we can think of prayer along those lines, where we go, hey, prayer is about getting more comfortable. Prayer is about ordering, a, ordering up these little kind of comforts that we need throughout um, our life. And we can think about prayer in that way. And, and I think that's a very incomplete way of thinking about prayer. Like, God, please make my life a little more comfortable. That is something you could pray about, but I think that if that was all your prayer life was about, that would be an incomplete version of what prayer is. Prayer is more like when you're watching an old war movie 
and the guy on the radio is calling in for air support because they're in the heat of the battle. And they're saying, given the location of the enemy and calling in for air support, that when we think about prayer that way, where we're, we're saying, here, I am on the ground in the battle. And I see a broken world everywhere I look. And I see people that are suffering the fallout of living in a broken world. And God, I need air support. I'm radioing in support. Please help make a difference in, in this broken world. God, we need your help. We need you to fix this. Come, Lord Jesus, into this situation and, and impact this for the better. It's a recognition of the fact that we are in a spiritual war. We are in a battle, and we need God's help. So we want to be people of prayer. We want to be people who, who are growing in our prayer life, people who are developing a our prayer life, and, and there's certain things that we need to do because that is true. And I want to talk, I want to get real practical here as well, but I, I think one of the things that we need to do is commit to learning to be people of prayer. When I talk about these spiritual disciplines, prayer is, is, uh, is always the one that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still s- such a learner with. You know, like I, I, I don't, I certainly don't feel like my prayer life is complete, and I think the reality is that everybody is, is in, a, in various stages of learning how to be a person of prayer, no matter how long you follow Jesus. Uh, when it comes to things like Bible knowledge or spending time in God's Word, I feel, I feel pretty confident in my ability to win like a Bible trivia game, for example. You know, I, I, I feel pretty good about, about that one. Not that I, I, you know, I still can grow when it comes to spending time in God's Word and making that a priority, the discipline we talked about last Sunday. But when it comes to prayer, I know there are people in this room and people who are part of our church community who are better at praying than I am. And so when I stand up here and talk about the importance of prayer, I definitely have that in the back of my mind. But I think all of us need to commit to being people who are learning how to grow in our prayer life. We say, like the disciples did, Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to be people who prayed like you pray. And there, this, the interesting idea about this, about prayer being something we learn and grow with, is that prayer is natural. Prayer is something that the, the, a small child can do. Right? We can, you can teach your child to pray. Because prayer is super simple at one scale. Like it's at one level of thinking. It's very simple. It's very natural. It's something we almost instinctively do. When we're in a situation where we don't know what to do, like, God, help, like, that's prayer, and that counts, right? That is, that is prayer. A child can do it, but we also need to grow in our practice of it and to move beyond just this instinctive kind of level to, to a deeper level of continual prayer like Jesus is telling his followers to do in this parable. You ought always to pray and not lose heart. We, we are all lifelong learners when it comes to prayer, and one of the best ways to learn things like prayer is by practicing prayer, by doing it, by continuing uh, to pray. And I think one of the important things to, to think about when you're talking about growing in this aspect of your devotional life, of your time with Christ, is putting a plan in place to grow, putting some kind of plan in place, some kind of practice that you're going to commit to, something that you're going to do continually in order to grow. I've never met anyone who just woke up one day and all of a sudden was spiritually mature. They're like, I didn't do anything. I just, I woke up and now I'm super holy and it was awesome. Like I, I went to bed, uh, one kind of person spiritually, and then when I woke up, it's like done. I'm like done. I did all, I did all my spiritual growing. 
we were talking about these spiritual disciplines, and it's like th- that these are the things that we do to help us get there. You're not going to just wake up automatically spiritually mature. We need to grow and put a plan in place in order to grow. So we were talking about you know doing the Bible reading plan, for example, last week, and and uh, there's a great book called How to Grow by Daryl Dash, and I've been through this with with some of you uh, in this room, and I want to take more groups in the church. Uh, through this book that I, one of my favorite books on spiritual growth is by this guy, Daryl Dash. And he talks about different ways we try to approach spiritual growth. And then he gives an alternate that he, that he finds to be more helpful. And one of the things he talks about is when we're talking about growing spiritually, often we think it's just about uh, more information. Like if you're trying to grow in your relationship with God, you can read lots of books about spiritual growth. Like just gathering information. And I don't know about you, but I am an information gatherer. If I'm trying to uh, fix some problem or, or, or learn something, I, I'm all about just gathering. All, give me all the info. I want all of the info. I want to learn everything about the thing that I'm, that I'm trying to know. And that can be good, but it is very limited at times, right? Gathering information feels like work sometimes or feels like you're actually making progress when really you're just getting more information and what you need to do is put what you've been learning into practice, right? That is my challenge. That is welcome to my life if you, um, maybe some of you can identify with that, right? Just not, not just gathering information, more info, more info. No, put it into practice what you've been learning and that's one of the more effective ways to grow. Or he says, one of the things we do is we just say, like, uh, just set a giant goal. Like, I'm going to pray every day for one hour for the next year. And we set this huge goal. And, and I'll, often what happens with these big, big lofty goals when it comes to growth is that we are not as successful as we'd like to be. And then we just kind of toss out the whole thing. Like, ah, I didn't do it. And so I'm, I... I, I I failed at this, and now I give up, right? If I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. That whole perfectionist instinct that a lot of us have. Or we just try to gut through whatever it is we're trying to do with lots and lots of willpower. I, I just, I'm going to will myself to grow, and I'm going to put all this, you know, this huge goal and, and, into practice, and I'm going to will my way to spiritual growth. And we find that our willpower is a limited resource, right? That you have varying amounts of willpower throughout the day and even throughout your week, and that sometimes that might work for you, but sometimes we need a different approach most of the time. And so what he suggests in this book, How to Grow, is, is that we need to develop habits. So much of your life op- operates via habits. Like a lot of the things you do, you know, driving to get here, driving to get to, get to work, what time you wake up, what you do first thing in the morning, so much of that you don't use any willpower. It is just habit. And so are there ways that we can develop spiritual habits, practices that will help us to grow. And, and he talks about this in the book. He says there's things like starting small, which we mentioned last week. Some of the best researchers on habits tell us that if you can start small and, and put something in place that you can do about 80% of the time, that, that it is more important that you focus on making progress than setting a giant goal or using up all your willpower to do um, the thing you're trying to accomplish. And so when we think about our prayer life, um, it's important that you develop the routines that you will continue, that you focus on making progress. So what, how, how can you incorporate, if you're trying to develop as a person of prayer, what is something you can do every day that is pretty achievable most of the time that builds that habit muscle, that spiritual practice, the spiritual habit? And then he talks about uh, the importance of keeping going even when you fail, because a lot of times what we do is that 
you know, once we fail first on, on something, we go, man, that's, it's over. I tried to do it, and I couldn't do it, and now I give up. And, and the most important day is the day after perfect. This is John Acuff, a writer, talks about the day after perfect. If you're trying to accomplish something big and you, you, you achieve it most of the time, but then you miss one day, that next day is super important. What are you going to do that next day? Keep going even when you fail. Pick it back up again. Get back on the path. Continue doing the habit you're trying to develop. Spiritually, uh, many people have talked about a, a rule of life in different spiritual communities. They talk about this, this idea of a rule of life. This is what I do. This, these are the practices that I do in order to pray, uh, order to connect with God, spend more time with God. And so it's, it's, a, it's a helpful idea to think about what is your rule of life when it comes to your spiritual growth. How are you going to grow in your relationship with God today? How are you going to grow tomorrow? What are the things that you will do? What are the practices that you put into place that will help you um, grow in your relationship with Christ? So I want to talk for a few moments about my own rule of life when it comes to prayer. I've mentioned this several times, um, so this might be just be repeating it for, for some of you, but one of the things that I found most helpful in my prayer life um, over recent, probably the last, within the last two years, is three times a day kneeling prayer morning, midday, and evening, or morning, midday, and night, right? So there's, and, and I thought the, the my, my prayer life had kind of settled into this uh, idea of a lot of, a lot of uh, popcorn prayer, we call it, just kind of like just throughout the day as I think of something, I'm asking God to help with whatever situation it is. Just regularly, I'm praying, praying frequently, but not not in a patterned kind of orderly way. And, and so often it would just be like throughout the day, maybe I'm driving somewhere, I'll offer up a prayer for a certain thing or as something comes to mind, I'll be praying about it. But what I needed was, was a specific time that I connected with God. And I got this idea, by the way, the three times a day kneeling prayer from a really good book called The Common Rule. The Common Rule. Um, and the last name of the author is Early. His name's Justin Early. Um, if you are looking for something to read, it's a really good book. But he talks about three times a day kneeling prayer. And so I try to start my day by praying the Lord's Prayer. We talked about this, you know, during our series on the Lord's Prayer. That, that first thing I try to do every day is, is to hit my, the, kneel next to my bed and pray the Lord's Prayer. And for me, that helps kind of orient my day. That puts right in my mind, right as I'm starting my day, what, what I'm all about. And I try to thoughtfully pray through the Lord's Prayer. Um, but then the day always messes with my spiritual priorities. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You might, might have had a really good time um, in the morning, spending time in devotions with, with God, and you've connected with God, and it's, it's really great. And then your day happens and just messes with it, right? You, have, you encounter rude people in traffic, or you get to work, and everyone's grumpy at work. Um, or, you know, your kids are just out of control, or, or whatever it might be. Your day messes with the spiritual connection you felt like you had with God, and it just feels like you're disconnected. And so that midday prayer is so important, uh, I've found, in my own life with God to reconnect, to draw me back to what is true and what is real, to get my focus back on Him so that I can face the rest of the day. And what I found helpful during my midday prayer time is to pray a prayer that someone else wrote. And so I, I've been using, we've got the prayer guides that Pam mentioned out there. I've got other things that I'll use, um, kind of prayer books that have pre-written prayers that I feel like will bring me back to, to the correct focus that I need. And often that midday prayer time is when I bring 
my prayer list before God, the things that I've been praying for consistently, the people that I've committed to praying for and, and things like that. I'll, I'll bring them before God at that time. And then the, the, the end of the day prayer is just that like before I go to bed kind of prayer um, that is I'm laying aside the things that burden me throughout the day and I want it, now it's time to rest. God, you've got, you've got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest now. And so I found that helpful. And maybe that would work for you. Maybe, maybe you go, I don't know if I could do that three times a day kneeling prayer, um, but whatever you decide to do, be, figure out what your plan is going to be and then put that plan into place. And I want to talk about these prayer guides again for a few moments because uh, the midday prayer, I've been praying through this already, kind of go, going through it before we start. This doesn't begin until February 17th, but we're calling the church to pray big prayers, focused prayers, um, and we're using this prayer guide to help us do that. And we've done this for the last few years, and I love the prayers in this book. There's each day is kind of broken down into, into different sections, and we pray as we go through this prayer guide, we pray about a wide variety of things and people that you might not pray about if you were just relying on your own, what's in your head. Like, here's what I'm going to pray for, and you think about only the things that you'll think about. Um, we pray for different groups of people. There's um, here day 20, I just opened up randomly here, we're praying for law enforcement and judges. Uh, day 21, praying for men in our community. We're praying for disabled people. There's all these different range of people and causes and, and uh, praying for all of society. And even all the nations in the world will get prayed for if you do this prayer guide with us. And so I encourage you to grab one of those prayer guides. This is also a very helpful learning tool for you to help you think about the kind of things that we can be praying for or that we should be praying for. Over and over again in recent months, I've been talking about the importance of praying for revival. We are praying for God to work in a dramatic way in our time, in a way that we maybe think back on for the rest of our lives. Like God worked in a decisive, defining moment in this time. And this prayer guide is one of those ways that we can pray for revival. We're praying for God to break into our world and to work and to fix things here that we need his help with. We're calling in air support. So we want to be people of prayer. Different times throughout history have seen God move in, in powerful ways. And I was reading about one that people have called the Businessmen's Prayer Revival of 1857 and 1858. And it was a group of, of business people in New York City. And if you know anything about that time period, that's right before the Civil War. So our nation was pretty divided during that time. And there was financial collapse. There was unrest. There was a lot of unemployment. Um, there was a lot of just issues that our, our nation was dealing with in, in 1857. And in New York City, a, a guy, a, a person that worked for a church, he was, I think, a former business person and was volunteering at his church and decided that he was going to put together a lunchtime prayer meeting for the businessmen of New York. He was focused on the men in particular, and he would put this, he, he promoted after weeks of trying to get flyers out, they had their very first prayer meeting, and I think something like six people showed up to the prayer meeting. And once a week they would gather for prayer and they were very focused in, in how they would pray. They would start with a song. All the, the, the men there would sing together. They would have a focused prayer time, end with a, a final song. And then and, and everyone, by the, the prayer time, by the way, was five minutes each. You get five minutes to pray for something. We're sharing prayer requests in this group. And then at the end of that time, um, they would 
pray, uh, or they would sing a single final song, a pastor would give a benediction, and then they would leave. And you could come and go as you needed. If you couldn't stay for the whole hour, or if you had to be late, that was fine, that was expected. But this group grew from six people to like 20 people to 40 people to continued growing till they, where they were filling up all the venues in New York City where there'd be thousands of people gathered. And it went from once a week to once a day. They would gather people throughout the city of New York and fill up the largest venues they could find. 10,000 people, just there'd be all of these people gathered to pray. And something happened in New York City that spread across the nation and across the world, where God began to bring people to himself, where churches, they, they couldn't fit the number of people in the churches that they had the building size for, so they would just be going outside and doing services in the, uh, in the outdoors. And so between 1857 and 1858, the result of this revival, this great move of God, the population of the United States was 35 million at the time. One million people came to Christ during that time period. That's like almost 3% of the population. Um, if I did the math right, some of you are checking me. Uh, so the 4 million church members, when that began, they added a million people to the churches in our country at that time. What happened there spread across the nation and even spread over into Europe. And it was this moment of time where God worked in a decisive way and, and, and worked in people's lives, changed people's lives, brought people to him. And that's what we are praying for. That's what we want. We want to see God do the same thing today in our time. We want to see God fix some of these big, complicated problems that we all wrestle with, that we all see, that we're all experiencing. At the very end of this parable um, that we just read in verse 8, can we put that verse back up there? Luke 18, verse 8. Jesus says something very interesting, which is uh, the second part of the verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think one of the ways that we express faith is through our prayers. We're committing ourselves to praying to God. We're saying, yes, you will find faith on earth. We get to answer Jesus' question. He just kind of leaves that question out there at the end of the parable. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? One of the ways that we put legs to our faith, we put our faith into practice, is by being people of prayer. Let's be people of prayer. Would you pray with me? Let's start now. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room and those watching online that they might first know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, be the one who provides salvation, but also be the leader of our lives. And we commit ourselves to following you. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to continue to grow in prayer. May we know you more through prayer. May we bring our requests to you. May we worship you in our prayer life. May we, um, Lord, thank you for the things that you've already done. Lord, may we do all the things that we can do in prayer. And Lord, let us put a plan in place to be people of prayer. May we seek you every day, Lord. Build us into people of prayer. Those who are already doing this, Lord, I, I just I, I bless them, Lord. I thank you so much for our consistent prayer warriors here in our community. We're so grateful for them. And Lord, for every, every one of us, Lord, I pray that we would join their ranks, that we would be people who are regularly bringing our requests and our needs before you. Lord, our world needs it. Our world needs the air support that you provide. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us into people of prayer. Help us to know you more in the year ahead. And, Lord, as the season of prayer approaches, Lord, in just a few weeks, as we begin that 40 days of prayer, Lord, I pray that we would do it together. And I pray that you would um, help all of our church to, to link up and, and, and be a part of that. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this great time together. I pray that you bless each and every person here. Now we ask in the name of Jesus.
Amen.